Welcome to Double Truck Stories, the home for some of the best features, investigations, and character portraits from across ESPN. I'm Justin Ellis. If you haven't heard of Lonzo Ball by now, it's likely you've been in federal witness protection, someplace where no cell coverage and a TV that only shows PBS. If you haven't heard of Lonzo Ball by now, the 19-year-old UCLA standout point guard who led the country in assists and brought Showtime back to Pauley Pavilion, his father, LeVar Ball, can tell you everything you need to know. Lonzo Ball is expected to be a top lottery pick in the 2017 NBA draft, but that's only the beginning to hear his father tell it. LeVar Ball says his son will not only go to the Lakers, but lead them to a championship very soon. He's also the reason behind Big Baller Brand, the apparel company featuring the Zoe 2, Lonzo's signature shoe that dropped with a $495 price tag before he even played one minute in the NBA. And it's all just the beginning, LeVar says. Soon you'll see his two other sons conquering the NBA soon enough. On today's episode, Ramona Shelburne stops by to give us an inside look at the Ball family, from Lonzo's NBA trajectory to LeVar's unique ability to seemingly shape the world to his will. And stay with us afterwards. We've got an interview with Ramona where she'll tell us what it's like to have personal training from LeVar Ball. Here's the story. Speak it into being. No, LeVar Ball will not stop talking. Not until it gets him and his family everything they want, starting with oldest son Lonzo in a Lakers uniform. By Ramona Shelburne. It has been, what, six months since the world met LeVar Ball and his brood of big ballers? And already, most basketball fans would recognize their big house in this upscale tracked housing community about 30 miles from downtown Los Angeles. There's the double-rimmed basketball hoops rising from the solid white concrete fence in the backyard. The fake grass out front. You try keeping the real stuff going once it gets hot in the summer. The collection of luxury cars that LeVar bought for his three sons so they wouldn't be swayed when someone else tried to impress them with wheels. And, of course, the black garage door. You see all these houses? LeVar asks as we pull up to the house where he's raised and trained three basketball-playing sons who all have a chance to play in the NBA. You only see one all-white one. That's because it's my S. The homeowners association told him he couldn't paint the house white, and that is not something you say to a big baller. So LeVar dug in, told them, You crazy. This one is going to be white. And just to show them who was really in charge, he put a black garage door, too. You ain't supposed to have that S, he says. But you know who the Homeowners Association guy is now? The president? Go ahead. Guess. That's effing me. Now you gotta come to me to get your house painted. He laughs to punctuate the point, and the black door opens to reveal an impeccably clean garage. There's a bunch of workout equipment, a dry erase board with a list of exercise times and reps, and photos of his three boys when they were young. In one, Lonzo, his eldest son, and a projected top three pick in this year's NBA draft, is sitting on top of a double-rimmed hoop with the basketball in one hand and a gold crown on his head. See that one? LeVar asks. See how Lonzo is pointing at you? Every time someone comes in this garage, it's like Lonzo's calling you out, asking, who's that next? This is not the first time LeVar, 49, has told this story. This isn't some act he started performing a year ago when the lights came on and Lonzo broke through as one of the best college basketball players in the country. This has been his vision all along. He's planned this since he first saw his wife, Tina, walking down the halls at Cal State Los Angeles. She was a college basketball player too, but more important, she was tall enough to give him tall children. 
That was a must. And she was tough. He could tell by the way she walked in her heels. How many tall girls wear heels, he asks. I liked that. So he looked her up and down with his pale green eyes, smiled, and said, You and me, we're going to do something. You just don't know it yet. It was a line he'd used on other women. He'd drop the line, linger on her eyes, then keep walking. He wasn't waiting for a response. He was planting a seed. You may not like me. You may think I'm cocky or arrogant, LeVar says, explaining the pickup line and his worldview. But you will be thinking about me. Say what you will about his tactics or his tact. But LeVar Ball has figured out how to get and keep our attention. In less than a year, he's gone from just another suburban helicopter parent to a household name and wannabe marketing mogul. Big Baller Brand, the shoe and apparel company LeVar founded, has organically generated the kind of publicity for which companies spend millions. There have already been two weeks of news cycles reacting to the launch of Lonzo's first signature shoe, the shockingly priced Zotu's $495 a pair. That's after weeks of news cycles about shoe companies spurning the big baller brand itself and LeVar's proclamation that his sons were worth a billion as a brand. And just wait for the reaction once he starts talking about the documentary and commercials he says his big baller media group is producing, or the sports agency, the Ball Sports Group, that represents Lonzo. It's straight out of the Kardashian playbook, authored by momager extraordinaire Kris Jenner, who recognized early on that no matter how outrageous celebrities might act, people will pay even more outrageous prices to wear, sniff, and watch them. When you're exclusive, that's when folks are like, I have to have that S, LeVar explains. People are like, I don't like that LeVar Ball, but I got to get that triple B stuff. But there's a bit more to this than the empty calorie Kardashian chaos. LeVar has three sons with NBA potential and an anti-establishment message that's tapped into larger trends toward independence in music. Think Jay-Z's record streaming service title and sports, Floyd Mayweather's Mayweather Promotions. Those stars waited until they were stars to cut out the middleman. But already, LeVar's called out. The shoe companies, the NCAA, AAU basketball teams run by shoe companies, retail stores taking a cut of shoe and merchandise sales, basically all the gatekeepers of the world he's trying to conquer. Is he trying to change the system or work it? That might not matter as long as at least one of his sons lives up to the hype he's created for them. People don't understand the movement, he says. This is a power play to show everybody, yo, we don't need you to make this S. Either way, he knows the system because he came up through it. LeVar played college ball in the mid-1980s and early 1990s, but never had the guidance or anywhere near the skill and talent that his sons have. He was athletic enough that former New York Jets executive James Harris signed him in 1994 to see if he could be turned into a football player. He played one year of tight end in college. The most impactful thing to come out of the time he spent in the systems of the Jets and the Carolina Panthers was enough money to send home to Tina so she could buy a house that was big enough for them to raise their future kids, whom LeVar was certain would be boys. I knew I was going to have more than one, LeVar says. I don't put out no girls. Me being alpha dog in our family, I'm going to have boys. Give me three boys. Well, what if one of your boys wasn't athletic or wasn't into basketball. Wasn't going to happen, LeVar says. How could he be so certain? Speak it into existence, he says. Keep talking about it until it happens. 
It's an interesting experience talking to a man as loud and cocksure as LeVar Ball, who seems wholly unconcerned with convincing you of anything. Most characters of his ilk have a need to be liked, not LeVar. He sees things his way. He trained his boys his way. Now he's promoting them his way. I know me better than you do, he says. I know my boys better than they do. Legendary former Nike, Adidas, and Reebok exec Sonny Vaccaro has watched the phenomena around the Ball family unfold. The original shoe maven has seen it all over his career, but man, LeVar Ball is something else. I enjoyed the father's brashness, Vaccaro says. It took a lot of guts to do what he did, and it is hugely possible that in the right situation, this could be one of the greatest stories of all time. I just wish he'd stopped and thought about it a little longer, because at $495, you took away the public rooting for you. You allow the public to think other things of who you really are. Could it be intentional? Could LeVar be casting himself as the villain Lonzo has to overcome? If so, Vaccaro says, It's almost the perfect setup. If he just gets off to a good start, Lonzo could be America's darling. But he almost has to be that, or it's game over. Lonzo knows that once he gets to the NBA, he's going to have to own everything his father's been selling. Yeah, that's facts, Lonzo says. That's true. Who's going to want to wear a loser's shoe? I know I wouldn't. What we know about Lonzo Ball reads like a personnel file. He's 19. NBA talent evaluators love him, no matter what his father says or does. Lonzo is very good, says a scout for a team that will be picking in the lottery. What he does better than anyone in college basketball and probably anyone in the last 10 to 15 years is push the ball and get it into the hands of shooters. And what makes him really special is that he's this uniquely brilliant passer. His coach at UCLA, Steve Alford, swears by him. A lot of one-and-dones have an entitlement to them, Alford says. At some point, they don't want to work or practice. But Lonzo was the opposite. He did everything and then some of what we wanted and expected out of him. His character is amazing. He's a tremendous teammate. I sure wish I had more than seven months with him. Alford swats away a question about whether LeVar could hurt Lonzo's NBA future, saying simply, dads don't get to play. Lonzo, on the other hand, can really play. He led the nation in assists and was an AP First Team All-American and a finalist for the Wooden Award. He's a six-foot-six point guard with presence and an unselfish mentality, a smooth handle, and a funky shot that somehow keeps going in. He's also quiet, except around his younger brothers or when he's playing video games. He lets his girlfriend, Denise, make cute Instagram videos of them set to music. His favorite drink is Martinelli's apple cider. His favorite rapper is Future. No, Lil Wayne. No, little Uzi Vert. He listens to all of them, constantly, busting out with a verse between sets of the pull-ups or shooting drills that LeVar orders. Other than the occasional riff, Lonzo is fairly stoic when he trains or plays. He's into basketball, and that's about it. When UCLA took a trip to Australia last year, he was mostly annoyed with all the tourist stuff. We went on bike rides and climbed a bridge, he says, sitting in a big leather couch that fills up the family's living room. Then we went to like 10 different zoos, so it was just a lot of walking, sightseeing. I don't really like that. I think it's a waste of time. You can just go on the internet and look at that stuff, to be honest. I just like to stay in the hotel and watch movies until we have to practice. In other words, anything that doesn't involve playing basketball or resting so he can play basketball again doesn't appeal to him which is why he's back at home in Chino Hills this spring, training for the draft instead of Los Angeles. 
I like Chino more than L.A., to be honest, he says. L.A.'s a lot of noise and stuff. You always hear cars and stuff. Here, you don't really hear nothing. Well, except LeVar. Lonzo smiles, but he does not look over at his dad, sitting a foot to his left on the black leather couch. I do all my playing on the court, he says. He can say whatever he wants off of it. When pushed a little harder, Lonzo mounts a loyal defense of his father. He's been here my whole life. I wouldn't be here without him, Lonzo says. So if I go back on him, that's like going back on what I've been doing my whole life, and I don't think that's right. LeVar has been at this for two decades now. A personal trainer by trade, he's been shaping his own kids from sunrise to sundown since they were born, loading them up with food, swagger, and tough love. He says he had them walking by the time they were eight months and potty trained by ten months. I put a scarf under their arms and I just hold them up like a bungee cord so they get their balance, he says. Nobody had pampers on. I'd wake their ass up in the middle of the night, put them on the toilet. Their cold ass hit that seat, so it was like a mechanism. Cold ass, piss. Now go back to sleep. There's no wink or smile when he says this. Before he had sons to work with, LeVar trained pigeons, dogs, frogs, anything. Pigeons? Yep, he says. I make pigeons just do backflips in the air when I clap my hands like that. Even Lonzo busts up laughing at that one. LeVar keeps going. I'm a trainer. That's my passion, he says. It ain't basketball. My boys, their passion is balling. These days, LeVar's training regimen begins early. He's up by 5 a.m., prepping two rounds of breakfast, first at 7 a.m. for his two younger sons, Leangelo and Lamello, who are still in high school, then a few hours later for Lonzo. After breakfast, Lonzo heads to a local basketball court to train with Darren Moore, a former LeVar client. Lonzo picks up lunch from Subway on the way home, then naps until his younger brothers get home from school around 3 p.m. They all go out in the afternoon to run the steep hills in nearby Chino Hills State Park with four or five other players LeVar trains. While they run, LeVar yells out their times. If you're going to play at the fast pace the Ball brothers do, you can never get tired. And everything is a competition. LeVar pulls out an old home movie to explain. Lonzo looks to be about 11, Leangelo 10, and Lamello 8. And their AAU team is playing a high school varsity team at a summer tournament in L.A. Physically, it's a total mismatch. The boys on the high school team are 14 to 17 years old, bigger and stronger and taller than the Ball brothers. If the high schoolers could just slow it down and exploit their physical advantages, this game wouldn't be close. Instead, the Balls run them off the court. Full court trapping, pushing the pace after every rebound, shooting three-pointers from 10 feet behind the arc. Within minutes of playing at this pace, the high school team is sucking wind, their hands on their shorts during every dead ball. And still, Lonzo keeps pushing after every basket, finding his brothers with long passes along the sidelines, then sprinting past to get open for the shot. You can't beat that ball in the air, LeVar says, as Jello finds Mello, who finds Lonzo, for a three. Wait, how deep was that shot? It's even more surreal when eight-year-old Mello starts shooting from distance. All my boys shoot like this, LeVar explains. They'd practice ridiculously deep shots so far back that most coaches wouldn't allow it. LeVar encouraged it because once they hit a few, defenses had to stretch out and guard them way behind the arc, creating even more space for Lonzo to penetrate. Their style of play, born from competing against teams so much bigger and stronger, is not at all unlike the pace and space game now being played in the NBA. We always played like this in L.A., 
LeVar says. Now folks are seeing it. There's another voice in that home movie, and all of them, a female voice, cheering from the stands, yelling just as loud as LeVar. Tina. It's hard for any of them to talk about her right now. LeVar might be the front man, but Tina has been right there with him for the whole ride. She was at every one of the boys' games and every practice. If LeVar made breakfast, she made dinner after she got home from her job at the local middle school. She played basketball with all three boys until Mello started beating her. Words really can't describe how much she does for us, Lonzo says. She's a lot like my dad, energetic, except she's not crazy on the cameras. After a stroke in late February, Tina Ball spent about two and a half months in the hospital recovering. LeVar and the boys would visit her at night after they finished training. She can't really talk right now, Lonzo says, but she definitely knows what we're saying, and she smiles all the time, so that's a good thing. LeVar is quiet while his son answers questions about his mom. LeVar's instinct when Tina first went into the hospital was to protect his sons from worrying too much. He wanted to tell Lonzo the news in person so he could help him process it. Instead, Lonzo got a text message from a relative in the middle of practice at UCLA. LeVar was furious. Who are they to text my son that S? I was going to tell him in person. Lonzo was coming to watch his brothers play, and I was going to tell him. Son, your mom is in a bad spot right now. Lonzo left practice as soon as he saw the text and rushed home. It was serious, but she survived. Is now in rehab, and in time, LeVar says she's expected to recover. He told his sons to focus on basketball. The only way he knew to help them was to keep the situation as quiet as possible, to handle everything behind the scenes so they could compartmentalize. Here's what I tell my boys. You all do what you all do. I got your mama, LeVar says. But word of her condition spread through the college basketball community. After UCLA's first NCAA tournament game, Lonzo was asked about it at a news conference. He answered the way his father had told him to. That's family business. And then he moved on. I got mad, but you can't show it, Lonzo says of being asked the question in such a public setting. At a moment like that, you gotta just take it and move on. You can't do nothing about it. I didn't want to make it into a movie where they're like, Lonzo's playing for his mom, LeVar says. But at the same time, LeVar, who skipped Lonzo's final UCLA game to be with his wife, was being criticized by unnamed relatives for being so public in the promotion of his sons while his wife was in the hospital. Everybody was like, what is LeVar doing, he says. Don't worry about what I'm doing. I take care of mine. The man puts a lot out there, but there are still some things he holds sacred. And Tina is sacred. She's the one. Just so smooth. She's not like other girls. She's tough, smart, pretty, he says. I told my wife, I've been with you so long, you can have one eye drooped and your mouth over here like this, and you're still beautiful to me. I look at you the same way. That ain't going to never change. This home, this world LeVar and Tina set up for their sons to grow into NBA basketball players, has turned out to be a hell of an incubator. Chino Hills was mostly rural when they first bought a house here and LeVar's football career ended. It developed fast as families looking for more room and opportunity moved out of L.A. and into the dozens of tracked housing communities. But if you drive five miles in any direction, there's still dairy farms and the smell of livestock. It's far enough from Los Angeles that the kids can't really get there until they have their driver's licenses, but close enough that they can go to play against much better competition if they want to. Chino Hills has meant Lonzo never had to go far to compete for an elite university. And it might mean he doesn't have to go far to play professionally either. 
In just a few months at UCLA, Ball helped reignite Pauly Pavilion. Celebrities like Snoop Dogg came out, and Pauly's courtside seats look more like they do at Staples Center when the Lakers are playing, which makes this next leap rather easy. If he gets drafted by the Lakers, Vaccaro says, that is a perfect setup. If you take one thing from what I said, remember this. The Lakers are the salvation for him, and he's the salvation for the Lakers. LeVar is way ahead of him. Oh, he's going to be a Laker, he says. I'm going to keep talking about it until it happens. It's all a part of the master plan, and so far it's working, which is why halfway through Lonzo's morning workout at the local recreation center, a young father carrying his 11-month-old son walks over to introduce himself to LeVar. He wanted to pay his respects to the most famous family in Chino Hills and ask for advice on how to coach his two older sons like LeVar did with his. Just work hard, man, LeVar says, his eyes still fixed on Lonzo doing drills. Other people can try to replicate what he's done, but LeVar isn't trying to rally anyone else to a cause. I'm doing this because I can, he says. I have three boys, and they all monsters. If you just got one kid, you can't do this. You ain't got no following. You gotta have it like that. That's the only way it'll work. And you can't just have three boys. They all gotta be good. Of course, you've also got to have a vision long before your sons are born. Then you've got to speak it into existence. Then you have to train them to be tough, and your wife has to be on board with the tough love. For the moment, everything is going as he planned it. The world pays attention to him, and so do his sons. I believe what he says, Lonzo says, and I'm 100% behind it. But he knows the question that lingers over him. Question's always the same, Lonzo says with a smile. He's going to the NBA. His dad did not. Even if he does end up with the Lakers, there will be a separation that's a whole lot farther than Chino Hills to UCLA. I think that's just you becoming your own person, you know, he says. And at the same time, I could always call my dad and talk to him whenever I want. He'll answer. But I think it's about becoming your own person, filling into your own shoes. Signature shoes with his name on them, made by his dad. That was Speak It Into Being, written by Ramona Shelburne. Ramona joins us now on the line. Thank you for being here. Oh, you got it. Anytime. So in writing about Lonzo and LeVar, there's obviously been so much uh, written and discussed about the two of them and the family. Mm-hmm. What did you want to do that others others haven't seen or read yet? Well, you know, as I was uh, as I was starting to write this, uh, there had already been so much written. He'd done so many radio interviews. And I was kind of like, gosh, I hope, I hope people aren't, I hope this isn't old. I hope people don't get sick of it by the time the story comes out. And then I said, wait, that's kind of the point, right? Like the, the point is you have to write something that transcends anything he could say in the daily news cycle. Because, you know, when I was with him, he said a lot of things that, um, you know, if I would have published them the day that he said them would have made news, right? But that's, that's kind of the point of LeVar, right? He makes news every time he opens his mouth. And my job as a writer, as a magazine writer, is to put him into context. And I I, I kept being drawn to the story eh, the last couple of months because I felt like he was tapping into something bigger. And it tapped into this this larger this larger trend in, in sports and in media and in music of of athletes and entertainers wanting to own their own brand and own their own content. Um, 
LeVar is just doing it now <laughs> when before Lonzo's ever really played a professional game. And so you see guys like Jay-Z do this. You see uninterrupted with, with LeBron. You see all these other guys who, who artists and, and athletes who are, who are stepping out on their own and trying to own their own content. I mean, even Floyd Mayweather in boxing has his own boxing promotion company. And there, there's a certain genius to it. Um, but usually you wait until you've established yourself. And for LeVar, the big the big thing is is he has to speak it into being. He has to speak things into existence. And putting yourself and by by virtue of what he's saying, his son out there to sort of cash the checks that he's writing. Um, I thought that was an interesting, I thought that was a really interesting phenomena that I wanted to tap into and what it felt like to be Lonzo Ball, where your, your dad is saying all these things that you're now going to have to live up to. And that's actually one of the things that I thought was really interesting in this piece is that, you know, you have to reconcile the fact that LeVar seems to be all volume and then Lonzo, on the other hand, seems to be, you know, sort of quiet and soft. Mm -hmm. What what were those interactions that you saw like between the two of them? Yeah, well, I'll just describe it. The first day I go to the I go to the house, right? It's 9 o'clock in the morning, and uh, it was set up for me to go out to their house and have breakfast with them and then spend the whole day just kind of observing how they work. And yeah, you get to the door, and LeVar opens the, opens the house. Hey, girl, what's going on? How are you? And, you know, I'm <laughs> I'm kind of low energy in the morning, right? And it actually was a it was a tough morning for me because it was the same morning that ESPN was having its layoff. So a bunch of my colleagues were, um, I had gotten word on a bunch of my colleagues, and I was really upset. And so right. it's a very contrasting, um, like energy from what I personally was feeling. And so a lot of what I was doing was compartmentalizing of like, okay, you have to be a professional, you have a job to do, you can't feel all the personal um, sadness and angst over your colleagues right now because you have to report the story. But it actually was kind of good for me to feel that, like, if I look back on it and I go, okay, this is maybe what Lonzo has to do every single day, right? Like, you have this energy in the room that it's like, this is not an act for LeVar. This is not something he just turns on when we turn on the microphones or when we turn on the cameras. Like, this is him 24-7 for the last 19 years of Lonzo's life, right, for his entire life. And so it was like I almost had the same adaptive strategy that Lonzo had, which is like you have to just find ways of processing LeVar and dealing with him. And so I walk in and he's, you know, Lonzo's eating breakfast and LeVar is, he's like, this is round two. Like he's already gotten up at five and made breakfast for the younger kids before they went to school. Um, and Lonzo's sitting there with his trainer, Darren Moore, eating breakfast. And he's pretty quiet. I mean, I did most of the talking and LeVar did most of the talking. Darren Moore talked a little bit. Lonzo was, you know, half a sentence answers. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. Is it, maybe he's not a morning person either, or maybe this is how he deals with it. And then the rest of the day, I would catch him in these little ad- adaptive strategies. He, he listens to, he listens to music a lot. He, you know, he kind of tunes his dad out that way, or he goes in the backyard and, um, and lets his dad talk. And I, I don't get the sense that he's always running away from him. And, and the one thing I was always looking for is whether there was any resentment or embarrassment. I didn't right. see any at all. And it it that was really striking to me because I gave him not only a lot of chances to show me or tell me um, when we when I was interviewing him, like I actually at one point had to say, OK, um, can I interview Lonzo by himself? Like, uh, you know, when I try to interview them together, LeVar just dominates the conversation and Lonzo sort of lets him because I think he's figured out like it's just not worth it to try to talk over his dad, right? Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, it's right. not, you're not going to be able to. Um, and so I sat and talked to him himself and he was, he was fine. I mean, he was great. Like it was, it was like a normal conversation that you would have. And I was really impressed by it. I go, Oh, okay. So this isn't like, you're just quiet. You just, it's just, that's just, he's just chill. And, and then when he's by himself, that's, he's his own person. And so 
I kind of saw it more as an adaptive strategy and, and his personality that sort of came out that way, um, being the eldest son of a guy like LeVar. And, uh, you know, if there was ever a moment he would have rolled his eyes at his dad and just think about, high, you know, college freshmen, like don't often like their parents. Like exactly. college freshmen are often waiting for their dad to leave so that they can be by themselves, right? And I remember when I was a college freshman, like I'm very close to my parents, and so I connected a little more with how Lonzo was. But like a lot of my friends, like couldn't wait for their parents to drop them off at college, and I didn't see any evidence of that with Lonzo. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the thing that's interesting in this that Chino Hill seems to become a, a character and plays an important yeah. role in this family story. And why do you think that is? Well, I mean, it's really the story of any family that moves out of the city to find a house in the suburbs for a big, for a better life, right? For like a bigger pot to grow in. And, you know, I think that it's far enough away that you didn't, you didn't get the, you didn't get the temptations of the city. You didn't get the exposure to the, the big wider world and the culture of the city. Um, Hills is just a, it's a, it used to be kind of a cow town. I mean, it's like farms. If you drive, I got off the freeway and took um and kind of went around a traffic jam by taking side streets and like you drive past the dairy farms right? <laughs> so i mean it's 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 suburbia but it's it's pretty far out there and and like that actually is the story of los angeles too i mean the most like in the 80s and 90s that's where people did because they couldn't afford houses in los angeles and the interest rates were so high like if you had a family and you wanted to have a suburban lifestyle you moved out to a place like chino hills or you'd move to valencia or palmdale lancaster that's actually where paul george is from um and like that is, it's it's definitely a story of of African Americans in Los Angeles and African American families um, that didn't want to live uh, where Lavar grew up in in South Central L A. He wanted to move out and have a big old house in the, in the suburbs and and be a trainer. And I remember him telling me the story of like how he bought his house. He got his wife to um, he sent home a check from his professional football days and said, okay, take this money and go buy us a house. When I get home, you know, just make sure it has enough bedrooms for three boys. And they didn't have any kids yet. I mean, like, they didn't have any boys yet. Like, Incredible. he just decided this is what he was going to have. And she bought him a house. And he, he tells the story now. I don't know if I could verify this, but so I didn't run it as strongly as you could have. But he tells the story that it was $180,000, and he paid for it all, all up front, so he didn't have any debts. And he goes, I was already ahead in life. And the way he <laughs> talks about the end of his athletic career was another big question I had. Um does is he living vicariously through his sons right like he stopped he topped out in college he you know right. famously averaged two points a game at washington state and then went to cal state la and um is he living vicariously through his sons i i didn't get that at all i i mean i don't think he's trying to be lonzo or an nba player i really think this guy is a trainer like this is his if you say like what's your archetypal personality it would be as a trainer. Like he would, you know, he even did it with me. I, I think if I tell you this story, it's going to be a little embarrassing. Okay. So like, <laughs> let's just pretend no one else is going to hear this. this. And it's not space. recorded. Yeah. Um, but like I was out there and, um, they were running the hills in Chino, and it's just, it's beautiful. It's it's a beautiful area in the hills, and there's wild mustard growing. and um, And I said to Lonzo, and, there, and this isn't just Lonzo; it's Lonzo and his two brothers, and about four or five kids from the neighborhood, most of whom are on the team. Um, and uh, they, um, you know, they they run the hills. And I said to Lonzo during one of them, I said, "Wow, that looks like a really steep hill. Is that is it hard?" And he goes, well, "It's it's hard." He goes, "But I do it every day, so I'm kind of used to it. I've been doing it for a long time." And the, that's part of the reason why they never get tired, right? They just run and play at that pace and and play fast like that. And um, 
And, and he goes, as I, he goes as hard as he goes. And Lavar hears me say this and ask him. He goes, "You could do it. You played softball in college, didn't you?" And I go, "Yeah, but <laughs> I could do it, but I don't need to. I'm, I'm, I'm fine just watching you guys." You know? <laughs> um, and then he goes, "Come on, girl, you could do it. You could do it." And I go, "Oh man!" And then all of a sudden, of course, all the all the other people heard him. You know, all the the other kids, and yeah. you know, now it became like a peer pressure thing. <laughs> and so like, I was like, "Oh God, am I gonna have to run up this hill? I don't have to, but like, if I say no, I'm gonna look like a total wuss." Right. Yeah, yeah. So I just did it and I ran up the hill and he goes, you know, don't you got to run all the way to the third sign. No, you can't stop at the second sign. All the other reporters stop at the second sign. I go, wait, is this something you make other reporters this do? Is, is this it. like a thing that I just walk right into this? So I start running up the hill and I'm, I get to the second sign. I go, oh, my God, this is nice to see why you stop at the second sign. <laughs> I want to stop, but like I'm a competitor, too. So LeVar is barking at me. Come on, girl, you can do it. You can do it. And I hear it. And I just it kind of made me want to finish. Like it kind of made me want to go. And I go, oh, OK, that's who this guy. This is what this, this is. is it. Like, yeah. it, it just like I fell right into it, too. And I go, oh, my God. Like I thought about writing about it, but it's. I mean, I'm not, I wasn't proud, okay? Like, it wasn't like a spectacular athletic display. But I finished, and, and <laughs> you know, I finished it. I got up that darn hill. And you could hear me, like, I was, like, breathing hard afterwards, like, trying not to faint. Um, but, like, I kind of, like, that's who LeVar is. He is a trainer. He's like, he might as well be a trainer on The Biggest Loser. Like, that's, that's his personality. It's not, it's not just straight helicopter parent. So one of the other parts of this piece, and this had to be a challenge, was writing about Tina. And it seems like she oh. obviously has such a, a big role, um, but she's not present. And what, what was that challenge like for you? Yeah, that was really hard because he hadn't talked about it. Um, none of them had talked about it, right? So I knew going into this, and I remember saying to my editors, like, you know, they may not want to talk about this, and then we're going to have to figure out how I'm going to deal with it because I don't think you could ignore it. You can't just pretend that didn't happen. I don't think you can write around that. That's a huge part of the story. Um, and we have to, but it doesn't also fit with the narrative at all either, right? The, the narrative is really about how they kept your attention and how they got your attention and why they connect and why we're interested in them and talking about them all the time. It doesn't really fit with like, oh, his mom also had a stroke and has been in the hospital for two hours, two, two months. So it was a real challenge because you had to find the right tone and the right, the right way to write about it sensitively. But then you also had to get them to talk about it and make them feel comfortable talking about it. And I, it actually wasn't as hard as it seemed. I think I just... I think I just asked, you know, I noticed when we were at breakfast, I mean, it was like hanging over everything. Like, hey, there's somebody who's been here for 19 years who's not here right now, who's not a part of this. And that's your right. mom who's just as involved as anyone. And there was, as LeVar was, I mean, she was right there with him. This isn't just a LeVar show. This was LeVar and Tina. And, you know, we had a, a, a sports center producer named Susan Ansman who had done a piece with them. And uh, who done a sports center featured piece with them earlier, and so she she knew Tina before the stroke. She'd been spending time with the family, and she had showed me transcripts of what um, of what Tina had said during their interview. So I had some sense of what who she was and what she was like, but never not any personal experience. Um, and uh, she, you know, she kind of told me just kind of how they felt and what they were thinking about. And so I just said, you know, I'm just going to ask this very sensitively. I'm just going to say, listen, I know you guys haven't t spoken about this, but, you know, I know, but that was at the time, you know, there's, there's a lot of time has passed now. How, how is she doing? You know, if you, if you don't feel comfortable sharing details, I understand, but I, I have to ask you, you know, right. and, and LeVar said, you can ask me anything you want. I said, okay. So I asked him and he started, and he just started talking about it. And I basically, I think I said the same thing to Lonzo. I just said, you know, tell me about your mom, like what's she like, you know, and, and you get them talking about a person, um, 
and you could tell the love that Lonzo has for his mom is very strong. Um, and and at that point, you, once you once you hear the connection they have, and the, and especially the the when Lavar started talking to me about why he why he you know hit on her, and that's the funny line at the top, and um, and why he liked her, and I like the part. I don't know. The thing that sticks out is when he says, you know, I like that she wore heels. How many tall girls do you know wear heels? <laughs> I like that because it it spoke to her confidence. It spoke to her attitude. Even though I had never met her, I felt like I knew her after he said that. Right. Um, and then, you know, he tells me this is the second or third time. I Each time I, I brought it up, I would, I would get a little more, right? I would get him to go a little deeper. And then LeVar finally said, yeah, I'd visit her in the hospital. And, you know, I told her, you know, I don't care what you look like. If you got one eye drooping, if you can't talk, you know, I still love you. You're still my woman. And that's all she needed to hear. And I'd never heard him talk about it like that. I'd never heard right. him have that human emotion. And I think at one point, I, I might have even done this during the television interview. I, I caught, I thought, I think LeVar was tearing up. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, I could see it in his face. And, uh, and then I, I kind of said, you look like you're getting emotion. He goes, what do you think I'm going to cry? What? Well, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and he didn't want to go there. And yeah. it was funny because this is like the one moment where, you see this humanity, this one thing that he will not exploit, that he will not try to sell, that he will not try to turn into a movie or part of the narrative. Um, and, you know, he, he'll talk about it to some extent, but he's still, this is the this is the one thing that's still pretty sacred and he won't put out there. And my last question, and this, mm-hmm. this seems like something that can get lost a, a lot of this, but, you know, you, you spent at least a part of this story talking about the fact that Lonzo Ball is a very good player, you know, that, that seems like mm-hmm. that's something that gets lost sometimes. Um, you know, does that sort of fall by the wayside sometimes and all the other narratives that get yeah, up with this? Family? Absolutely. I mean, here's the thing. Before I went into this, I called a bunch of NBA guys and said, tell me about Lonzo Ball. Like, is he really good? I mean, because we all kind of like forget that he's a lottery pick for a reason. Um, and you know, I, I talked to guys, you know, three, four teams who have lottery picks. Okay. Cause these are the teams that are going to matter. And they all, they, I mean, he's legit. Like he's a really good player. I mean, there are questions. I mean, the, the funky shot is weird, which is sort of an adaptive strategy that he had to playing against taller kids. Um, and uh, th- that's that's funky, um, but you know I think there's some question about how would he play in the half court? Uh, is he the same kind of defensive monster that De'Aaron Fox is or Josh Jackson is? There's, there's questions. Um, right. Some people wonder about his passion for the game um, because you saw in that last game he didn't, you know, he the way he handles uh, that loss, he didn't, he wasn't yelling and screaming and crying, right? So you wonder, okay, is he? Where's the passion? Right. Um, but in terms of just how unselfish he is, his ability to pass the ball, to dribble the ball, to push the pace. He's the prototypical NBA point guard right now with the way the league is going in that pace and space game. I'd like to thank Ramona for coming through to give us a glimpse inside the ball family. For this story and more, you can go to ESPN.com slash double truck. That's all one word. We'll be back soon with more stories. I'm Justin Ellis. Thanks for listening.